Are compliance changes and new regulations about to eat your lunch? And what do you need to know to help your clients get out in front of them? We'll find out on part two of our quarterly visit with Jessica Waltman on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. Speaking of wild and things that people would never do, let's dig into some of the regulatory things that are actually going on today. And let's talk about what's new and how that's impacting people and their practices and how they talk and inform their clients. And the first thing is there have been some pretty widespread changes in in the 5500s that some of us in the ERISA world have known and loved at various times for a long time. What's new there? What's happening? And what do advisors need to know? Right. So, I mean, the Obama administration, I think we talked a few minutes ago about how Congress is is very dysfunctional. Can we get anything done? Well, the place where they can get stuff done is through these regulations. And I think the Obama administration has decided that this is where their legacy is going to be because they are just putting them out fast and furious. And, and any administration does this at the end. I think that they really are doing it and they're really timing them now. So again, they're very hard to be undone. And they're not just ACA regulations. They are looking back at other healthcare laws and rules and applying things you know, kind of across the board and taking a hard look at things across the board. So it's not just ACA. So one of those that is not really ACA, and this is more about, I think, money, is they have proposed a significant changes and expansion of the Form 5500. And so, as you mentioned, you know, not all brokers have the joy of dealing with this for their clients because it's a form that gets done for groups of over a hundred. And it's not just for your, your health plan. I mean, it's for all employee benefits. So it, it applies to your retirement plan as well. The proposal would be to not require the 5,500 of just groups of 100. And that 100 is just a size number. It's arbitrary. It applies whether or not you're self-funded. But this would apply the Form 5,500 down to all groups. So it would even apply to small groups and self-insured and fully insured plans. And then it would really, really increase the scope of information that would need to be provided about your health plan. And it does address a lot of the health reform requirements, but even others that predated health reform and just require employers to really provide just a lot of information that they might not have readily on hand. And they might think, oh, well, the carrier handles these things. But really, you know, you said those of us not in the RISA world, well, anybody that sells group insurance, you know, unless they're just selling it exclusively to to state and local governments and to churches is in the ERISA world. ERISA does apply to small group plans. It's just not all or, and, and fully insured plans. It just applies, you know, the scope is a little bit more limited, but it does apply. And if, if you're not doing, 
you know, if your fully insured coverage that you purchase doesn't meet these requirements, that's on you ultimately as the employer. It's not on the carrier. I mean, the carrier has their own responsibilities, but employers, even very small employers, have these responsibilities. And they predate ACA. But what the Obama administration now is doing is really saying, well, hey, we know the people haven't been doing this stuff. We're going to make them document and make them aware. But the thing is, if you don't do it, there's fines involved. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of human capital. So they've proposed this huge expansion the rule is in the pending stage. It's just a proposal right now. It's still in the comment stage. You know, of course, I expect that many employers, employer groups, groups like NAHU, other broker groups are going to say, no, no, don't do this. But, you know, in all likelihood, some expansion is happening. And at what time it will take effect will be plan year 2018, 2019, 2020. It's hard to say, but it is coming down the pike. And if this gets finalized by the Obama administration, which is their intention, a new administration, it would be impossible for them to to strike it. They could maybe make it less burdensome, but it wouldn't go away. And then the other thing that the Obama administration has also done is they've looked at all the fines relative to health care violations and not, you know, giving out the right notices or, you know, all of those things that anybody operating a group benefit plan has to do, you know, a group of two or a group of 2,000 that has to do, and they have increased all of the fines. Some of the fines went back to 1974 when ERISA was passed, and they haven't increased since then. So that $100 a day per beneficiary affected beneficiary penalty is now going up to $117. That hasn't changed in 42 years. So it's kind of hard to argue that it wasn't due for an increase. On the other hand, you know, it was still a pretty significant fine at $100. And all of the other fines have kind of been jimmied up accordingly. And that was an interim final rule. Like they've, uh, that's already in practice right now. I mean, it won't affect until plan year 2018, but it is, you know, it's, it's happened. One of the other things that we talked about in a previous one of your lovely quarterly visits that we so look forward to was were these wellness changes, these wellness rules that the EEOC put out. What's going on with those? Right. This is something else that's already happened. There's been a number of things that have already happened that employers need and their brokers need to be focusing on for this coming plan year. So the EEOC rules were interesting because they looked at wellness programs and any of them that had any type of genetic information component. And the goal was to not discriminate against people because you know, to, to be discriminatory. And so you, know, you don't want to give them too much of a benefit because that's like an inducement or an incentive and you could be you know, tricking people. So instead of saying, okay, we can have wellness program benefits that are, you know, rate variations of plus or minus 35%. And then you could add smoker benefits on that, making it up potentially to up to 50% of the value of premium. They've said, no, if you do any type of testing that requires any type of health screening or genetic assessment, then that could be discriminatory. And so if you do any type of like blood test for to prove smoker status or the other thing is, you know, if you're getting a health history from people, that could be getting genetic information. 
And, you know, it's one thing, like you can assume that the employee and their kids have the same genetic history, but a spouse, not so much. So if you have any type of like, you know, there's like a wide range of like what they define as collecting genetic information as part of your wellness program, they've changed the structure of those incentives. And it's pretty complicated. I mean, the total can be up to 50% with the smoking benefit, but you don't like equally weight it. And you look, you don't look at the family premium, you look at the employee and then the spouse. And it's very complicated, but it, it reduces the amount depending on the makeup of the employee's family of what that wellness incentive could be. And it's not your typical, what you thought there was. Also, with wellness programs, you know, if they were voluntary, you didn't used to have to do a notice. But now, if you have any type of genetic component to it, and that is a very broad definition. So if you're really collecting any type of health risk assessment or health history at all, now you have to have a notice. And the notice content is is outlined. If you already had participatory wellness program where you were doing, you know, greater incentives and you already had a notice, you're probably going to need to revise that notice to include the new content. So it can be all the same notice, but your notice context has to shift. And then from employer perspective, the employer contributions have to shift to make sure that those discounts meet the new parameters. So basically, if you have a wellness program with any of your employer clients, you need to take a long, hard look at it before the tw- you know your, new- your next plan or your renewal and make these adjustments, make sure the notices are right, and make sure the amounts are okay, or you'll be in violation. And then you'll be subject to one of these, you know, $100 a day, soon to go up to $117 a day fine. And it does definitely affect employer contributions. And then all of this, of course, needs to be outlined in your plan document so that you can document that you did it. And so that would require material modification. You know, there's other stuff like this that is already out there that people might not be aware of. You know, similarly, if you offer any type of opt-out bonus to people for not taking your coverage, you know, first of all, you need to outline how you do that. If you just offer it without conditions, then that's going to affect your affordability calculation and your affordability safe harbors. And you're going to have to factor that into your calculation. If you have a condition on it, so if you say like, oh, you know, you need to, we'll give you you know, $1,000 if your spouse is in our plan, if you provide a waiver of coverage for your spouse, then that's okay for right now. But you have to document those conditions. You want to make sure it's in your Section 125 documents and in your plan documents, your overall plan documents. And there's a proposed rule that will further condition that. And if you want it, you could maybe still give out that $1,000, but you would have to do it in certain ways. And that's going to be finalized probably for, you know, they're planning to do that for the 2018 plan year. So you're going to have to keep an eye on that. Summary of benefits and coverage, those are, have been completely redone. You don't need them for January 1 renewals, but you need them for April 1 moving forward. So any of your non-calendar year plans for 2018, you need to get them ready because you obviously need the summaries of benefit and coverage for enrollment. So you're going to need them around January for April renewals. And if you're, you know, operating a self-funded plan, even an HRA, that needs its own summary of benefit and coverage. And it has to meet the new template 
the new glossary. So, you know, brokers need to be getting this stuff ready. And I'm not sure with all of these, you know, new things coming out practically every day that everyone's on top of it. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years experience working with educational institutions. And over that time, They've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Joyous, just great stuff. I mean, full employment for benefit advisors who've built compliance into their practice or who have a compliance relationship for sure. But there are also some snags that are coming up relative to the employer mandate. What's going on with that? Oh, yeah, there is now. So while we're recording this, we don't have the final forms yet for reporting 2016 plans that will go this winter, 2017. The 2016 forms haven't been finalized yet. They will be coming out, you know, hopefully any day now you know, with our luck, they're probably just been released while we're talking. But I've noticed, and I just want to make sure like that opt-out issue does affect employer plans. But then I've also noticed a couple of other things coming up with the employer mandate that I want to make sure people are aware of and like some snags. One that is pretty timely, again, is something that employers and their brokers may not realize because it's just in a proposed rule. In August, the Obama administration put out a proposed rule, but they said, hey, employers, you can rely on this and please do this for this coming plan year. You know, the solicitation, and this really only applies to self-funded plans and to carriers because it has to do with the information reporting relative to individual mandates. So if you are a self-funded plan, it's the part three of the 1095C form where you have to list out all the people on the plan and their social security numbers or taxpayer identification numbers. And you had to get social security numbers or birthdays if you couldn't get them from dependents. And that was a big deal. And as we all know, when we submitted those forms, if things did not match up, it could make your form get rejected. And so then if the information wasn't correct, the employer could potentially be subject to a penalty. So they were addressing this for the year ahead. What do we do? And they said, we're going to say you can solicit for these numbers during enrollment. And we're going to just say every plan that asked for it during 2016, during enrollment, that's good. We're going to give them a date of their like first collection is July 29th, 2016. That's everybody's date. But you have to go back. If you didn't get everybody's social security number during the first pass when you asked for it, you have to ask for it two more times. One time within 75 days of the first time you asked, and then another time by December 31st, by the end of the calendar year. 
So 75 days from July 29th is coming up pretty quickly. So employers that operate a self-funded plan need to make sure that they have their social security numbers, or if not, you know, do an attempt to collect them from employees and their dependents now to meet that deadline. I mean, it's a really fast coming up deadline and it's just in a proposed rule. I don't think a lot of people knew it was there. So there's that if you're doing employer reporting for a self-funded plan. Another thing that I keep hearing coming up that kind of affects groups more broadly is anybody with variable hour employees, there's a couple different iterations of this, but basically if somebody was deemed to be a full-time employee when you're measuring their hours, but then the next year when you're offering them coverage because they qualified as a full-time employee when you measured them and their hours shrink down to part-time, are they really still a full-time employee in terms of offering them coverage? And the answer is yes, they are a full-time employee for coverage purposes for the whole stability period. But what happens if, say, they like really reduce their hours, maybe even voluntarily, and they're barely working? Does the carrier still have to view them as a full-time employee in terms of coverage and like qualification to be on the plan? And the tricky thing is, no, the mandate's really on the employer to consider them a full-time employee and offer them coverage. But the requirement as it stands right now isn't really on the carrier to do that. So the carrier might say, well, that person isn't eligible to be on the plan if they audit it. And I think the solution is, one, we need to get a little regulatory clarification and make sure that the carriers accept people. But two, it can require the broker to go back and negotiate with the plan because the employer has to be able to offer them coverage. And so if it's in a self-funded situation, you know, they may be able to negotiate something with a stop-loss carrier. And in a fully insured situation, they need to go back and talk with the plan. You know, what I've been hearing is sometimes the plan may put a surcharge because the employer isn't necessarily meeting the participation requirements. So that's super nerdy, but it's a question that just keeps coming up. And I think it's just one of those things that until we live with it, we didn't realize it was going to be an issue. There were issues like that, as I recall, around COBRA when it first came out and also around HIPAA. And there always seems to be one place where it just kind of evolves until it finds a a sweet spot that seems to make the most sense. Do you think that's kind of what's going to happen with this? Yeah. I mean, the one tricky thing is that we are dealing with those things. And I think like these are not political things. And, you know, you can see where the carriers are coming from. You can see where there, you know, there was just you know, these things slipped through the cracks. No one thought of them. And there's, you know, will of nerdy people at the Department of Treasury, the Department of you know, Health and Human Services, state insurance departments nationally to fix these things. But when we are coming into an election and we're going to have turnaround and transition in these agencies, that's where it can be, you know, a little bit bumpy to get them fixed quickly. And unfortunately, as brokers, you know, that doesn't stop the renewal train from happening. You know, like it doesn't stop the problems that their employers have right now. So in one respect, I do think these things will be evened out if we became become patient, but that doesn't always help you when you're dealing with it in the moment. And I think, you know, that's where it's really important for the broker to have those good relationships with their employer and then also the carriers because, I mean, this is where some carrier flexibility can really help you out. 
That's a great place to end our interview for today. I was just thinking about it. By the next time we speak, the election will be over. So we'll have a whole new rasher of stuff that that we can take up. And it sounds like healthcare is, at least on the regulatory side, becoming kind of version two of Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a very positive, fun way to look at it. Well, I think if you don't look at it that way, you probably, you know, build an extra story on your building just so you can jump off. Yeah, well, that's definitely true. We have to laugh so we don't cry. Absolutely. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your insights with the audience. And as always, we look forward to your next visit with us. Thank you, David. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.